Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. This morning we're going to be in the book of 2 Peter in the first chapter, starting in verse 19, but uh, we'll be there in a little bit. We have some work to do before we get there. Um, this morning we are just doing a kind of just a, a standalone sermon. It's called The Standard. And we do this every once in a while. I, I really feel uh, like the Lord was leading us to this because of, 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 really, because of the people who have come to the church and people need a better understanding of the Word of God. So that's really what this talk is about. If you walk away from here and say, well, man, that wasn't much of a sermon, that's okay because this is going to be a lot of information. It's not necessarily going to be a typical sermon. So I know that coming into it, and now you know. So now you can't say that. But uh, this morning... The reason why that we kind of take ideas like this one is to help you with just some of the fundamentals of the faith. Some of you don't have an, a, really an idea about the Word of God and, and the importance of the Word of God, maybe some of the history as to why we have the Word of God. And, and so this morning we're going to take uh, those concepts and those ideas and draw them to the surface. And my hope is that at the end of this talk that you wouldn't sit back and say, wow, he just gave us a lot of information, but yet that you would be challenged to do something with what you're told at the end of the service. But it's called the standard. Um, several, several months ago, I had to go to the doctor. Um, who does not like going to the doctor? I realize we have doctors in here today, and I, nothing personal, but I don't like to go to the doctor. Um, d- d- raise your hand again if you don't like to go to the doctor. Awesome. I am not alone. Uh, I don't like to go to the doctor for several reasons, mainly um, because the lines. And it's, you know, you may go in there for like a sore thumb, but you're going to come out with pneumonia and a heart murmur kind of thing. You know, it's like you like go in there and like, you know, the place has just been doused with bleach. And yet there's like some, some microbes growing in there. And it's like this germ conspiracy that you're going to be more sick when you leave than when, when you got there. So I was a little bit, you know, reluctant to go, but my bride, um, through uh, much uh, hmm, urging, I would say, um, talked me into going to the doctor. My foot was hurting, and it had been hurting for a couple months. And I tried to soldier on, but, you know, you can only do this for so long. And after a while, you know, people just look at you and be like, I told you to go to the doctor, I, pff, you're on your own. No sympathy. So I decided that I would go to the doctor and, and fight all my fears and anxiety, And when I went to the doctor, um, I went in, I told him about my foot, and I kind of told him my kind of activities. I was running and doing those kinds of things, so I was telling him the activities that I was doing, and he said, uh, okay, well, I have a really good idea what's wrong with your foot. A, um, you're probably not running right. I'm like, great, doc, you're really starting off on the right foot here. He said, you're not running right, you have the wrong shoes, and you're probably not stretching appropriately beforehand. And I, I was thinking to myself at this moment, I don't like you anymore, doc. But he told me all of these things, and he, and, and he, he kind of broke it down, and, and I was reluctant to hear some of those things. But here's the thing. He, he gave me a diagnosis. He told me what was wrong with my foot. He told me what was wrong with my foot. As a matter of fact, not only that, he also gave me a treatment plan, which really wasn't much of a treatment plan. He's like, stretch. Thanks, Doc. I could read that on the Internet, you know. So he gave me a treatment plan. He told me, he's like, your diagnosis is... You have, uh, you have something that's inflamed in your foot. It's not going to go away for several months. So the only way to kind of remedy the pain is to stretch it out. So I'm like, you're my hero right now, you know. So I, I went and I got the diagnosis and then I got the treatment plan. 
from the doc. But really what he gave me at the end of that, with the prescription, is he gave me a choice. He gave me a choice, okay, am I going to listen to the doctor, am I going to listen to his expertise and trust his expertise, Am I going to listen to what he says the, the diagnosis for my problem is? And am I going to use the prescription of which that he has given me to remedy the problem? A lot of trust has to happen there. There's a lot of kind of parallels there with our life if you're a follower of Christ. Because we have to do the same thing with the Word of God. We have to go in and we have to, to trust what the Bible says. We have to also trust and accept by faith that it is a reliable set of documents. And then also, we have to adhere our life to what it says. In other words, the prescription for our life, we have to adhere to our life. But uh, there's going to be two questions that are going to be answered this morning, hopefully, that are going to be answered. And the first one is this. What is the purpose of the Bible? What is the purpose of the Bible? Now, this one's going to be really quick. And we all, I mean, I could sit here for hours um, until I don't even have a voice, until you're well beyond wanting to hear what I have to say and explain this. But I'm going to, I'm going to basically surmise this very, very condensed and shortened. What is the purpose of the Bible? Well, the Bible is 66 books, just over 31,000 verses, and it was written over a 1,600-year span. And I would say the purpose of the Bible is this. Jesus. Jesus. That's the purpose of the Bible. There's going to be something on the screen that's going to, that I'm going to help to illustrate this with. The Bible, many people can break the Bible into three different parts. The first part that people, when they break down the Bible is, they break it down to creation. The first part, creation. Genesis 1 and 2. Many, we've talked about this over the last several months. Creation. Okay. God created God spoke everything into existence. God created. It wasn't like this big bang. It wasn't anything else that happened. God spoke things into existence. God created. Everything's peachy. Everything's rosy. Everything is wonderful. Creation. And yet, the second part that you see there is Genesis 3. This is where all of creation and all of humanity got messed up in the fall. Now, I did say that the purpose of the Bible is Jesus. I'm getting to that, okay? First thing up here on the screen you see is Genesis 1 and 2, creation. We have to understand that God created, that there was a a grander design and plan for existence, not just for us as humans, but for all of creation, that God created. But then we have to see in Genesis 3, the second thing on the screen, we see that something happened with God's creation. Sin came into the world and tainted creation, tainted our hearts. Now we can't trust our hearts. Now we can't trust, although God declares His greatness through creation, now because of us, even creation has been tainted. Here's the Jesus part. Genesis 4, throughout... Revelation 22 can be broken down into the redemption story of God, God's redemption for us. So the purpose of the Bible is Jesus. But to get to Jesus, and the reason why we have all 66 books, is we have to understand, okay, if we just have Jesus and we don't have specifically the Old Testament, we're not going to have our hearts prepared and expectation for Jesus. Are, Are we clear so far? 
So we have to get to that point. We have to know, okay, why is the redemption of Jesus so important? Why is it so great? What happened to creation? What happened to us that leads us to desiring Jesus? To appreciating God's redemptive story. And yet we see this through this concept of Old Testament through New Testament and and the concept of promise and fulfillment. God has given a bunch of promises through the Old Testament. I hope this is, this is beneficial for you as you read the Scriptures. So the very things that I'm saying now, you can actually look for them yourself when you're digging into the Old Testament specifically, as what we're talking about right now, that you would look for some of the promises of God. Maybe that you would look and say, wow, okay, this is talking about Jesus. This is an Old Testament reference talking about Jesus because the purpose of the Bible is Jesus. The purpose of the Bible isn't so that we would be good boys and girls and good men and women and that we would have good church attendance and that we would be good moral people and we'd be able to raise our moral flag and say we're so much better than everybody else. The purpose of the Bible is not that. It is Jesus. Looking at at the holiness of Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus and looking at our sinful condition and saying... I am nowhere close to Jesus, but through His blood and the work of the Holy Spirit, we can be. One thing that that has happened, and and I think, for me, this is just incredible that God has done and He's ordained this talk over this time in our culture. Because of the events and the things that have happened over the last two weeks, I'm starting to see a, a greater problem even with our culture, not just our southern culture, but also the culture of this country. We're starting to, to believe and we're starting to decipher life through our culture. We're starting to decipher our life through sound bites. And we're starting to say, ooh, that's bad. And if I'm for them, then I'm against them. Well, if I, I'm, I'm for them, that means I'm against them. And well, I'm against them, so I'm, I'm for them. And we start to decipher our life through culture, through sound bites, things on the radio, things through media. I don't care if you like Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, or whatever other type of news outlet that you like. None of them give the clarity and the wisdom that's found in the Word of God. And when we decipher our life through culture and we filter everything that we filter everything through the strainer of our culture before it permeates the word of God then everything in our understanding is tainted before it gets to the Word. This is the only thing that's reliable. This is the only thing that's true. This is the thing that needs to be protected. And if we live our life listening to sound bites, and we listen, we, and no matter where you stand on all of the issues of our day, if you live your life off sound bites and you don't adhere your life first and decipher truth through the Word of God, then you are dead where you stand or sit. Because this is the only reliable truth for us today. Jesus said this in Luke 24, verse 44. He says, everything written about me in the law of Moses, that's the first five books of the Old Testament, and the prophets, major and minor prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. This is Jesus' words in Luke 24, 44. And he says, okay, everything in the Old Testament, all of these promises, all of these predicting of future events, they have to be fulfilled. So Jesus says, the reason why I came onto the picture is so now that we would be able to live our life and you would be able to trust the reliable Word of God, Old Testament, New Testament, because it's all about me. And he says there are promises and fulfillments of that. 
And he shows great clarity in doing so. Second question. Not only what is the purpose of the Bible, but why is this the Bible we read? There's going to be five points from this. A couple of them are going to be very much elementary, all of which are incredibly important to your understanding. And this is where we're going to get to 2 Peter 1, 19 and 20. Why is this the Bible we read? There are other faith groups, so-called faith groups, who are pushing other books. I'll get to that stuff in a moment. They're pushing other books. But why is this the Bible we read? I mean, what makes this book different than every other book? First thing I, I would hope to say is God guided it. God guided this book. Go to our scripture, if you would please. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. Peter wrote, And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, get this in verse 20, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as if they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter says, God guided the whole thing. This, the reason why this is the Bible we read, one of the reasons, and there are five that I'm going to say today, the reason why we do this is God guided the whole thing. Peter makes this explicitly clear. I love the verbiage in verse 19. He says, And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it. So he's telling us, church, Listen closely to what this is. This is the guiding light of your life, church. This is the thing that you would hear your life to, church. This, this is, is the, the combination of the 66 books written over 1,500 years of span, over 31,000 verses, all written to you so you can find the truths in it and apply them to your life so that you won't just live like you want to live, but yet you will live in the fullness of what Christ wants you to live. There's something very interesting at the end of verse 19. He says, As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. A light shining in a dark place. I think in imagery many times and, and I think of this. I think of, of the dark time uh, specifically in the Old Testament where they were far from God. And in Peter is saying, okay, this is, this is where Jesus is in the Old Testament. The people were in a dark place. They were in defiance of God. And yet there was this light that was piercing the darkness. The whole time, this whole light was, was piercing the darkness and it was pointing to Jesus. So, we, so Peter is in essence saying, all of these promises, they're fulfilled in who? Tell me, church. Jesus. He says, there's all these promises the reason why the Old Testament is so rich and so great in understanding is not so just we can have stories about, about you know, a little boy who throws rocks at a giant. It isn't those things. So, so we can hear stories about uh, a, a guy who, you know, who was saved from, some li- you know, from a lion and all of these things. It's, so we would look in here and we would see God's redemptive story in action. And Peter says it's just a, like a light shining through the darkness, and it was pointing to Jesus the whole time. And above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. It wasn't their idea. 
He says, as a matter of fact, the origin was in, it was in the will of God. It wasn't even in the will of man. The origin, the birthplace of Scripture, that God inspired them to do it, and He guided the writing of the Holy Scriptures. That's the first thing. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this. It'll be on the screen. Scripture many of us are familiar with if you've been in church for a while. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for one teaching, two rebuking, three correcting, and four training in righteousness, so that the man of God, the woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed. It was God's idea. That's very much consistent with what we see in 1 Peter verse 1. Or rather, chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. He says it's useful for teaching, teaching doctrine. That's basically what this is right now. I'm teaching you doctrine. He says it's useful for teaching, teaching doctrine, for rebuking. Rebuking, that's, that's say, hey, rebuking, this is, you're doing something wrong, pointing out things in your life, flaws in your life, so that you can do the next thing on the list of correct them. And he says, so then you can be training in righteousness. That means that you can live like Jesus. And so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Christian, the only way that you're going to be equipped in a way that, that will be fulfilling to you and that will be honoring to God is if you adhere your life to the Word of God. Don't live your life by sound bites. Don't live your life on what some evening program, what some guy says as he's giving a commentary about the condition of the world. Look at the Word of God and say, okay, is what I'm hearing true or not? But if you have to first Filter it through the Word of God. If not, you will have a tainted mindset. You will have a tainted worldview. I can't stress that enough. Second thing, God closed it. God closed it. So not only God guided the writing, God closed the writing. He closed it. It's done. God closed it. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. This is going to be a paraphrase. It says, Nothing is supposed to be added to or taken away from this book. And when John penned that, it was actually with the, with the mind frame of, hey, this is the other bookend with Genesis. This is, I'm not just talking about the book of Revelation. I'm talking about the compilation of all 66 books. Nothing should be added to or taken away from these books. That, that book in itself was inspired by God. So God guided it, and then also God closed it. God closed it. There's going to be a lengthy thing you're going to see on the screen right now. Follow along, if you will. This is the Westminster Confession. This is something that, that we hold to in reference to the Scripture, and I'm going to talk about why this matters. This is a 17th century document. And it says this, The whole counsel of God... Concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. We hold to this. This is important. This is very important. 
Because this has been confirmed centuries even after uh, the, the Bible was compiled. Now the, these ideas are being confirmed. He says, all things necessary for His own glory. We just spent the last six weeks talking about how elevating our life to God's glory. He says, all things necessary for His glory, for man's salvation... Faith and life is either expressly set down in Scripture, which means it's there, or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture. Does this mean that we will absolutely understand everything about the complexity of life? Everybody say no. We're not. What that means is that we live our life and we trust the Word of God. It is the infallible, inspired Word of God. If we come to a place where we don't have a proper understanding of something, it's our understanding that is flawed, not the Word of God. Because if we think the Word of God is flawed, then we have no basis for absolute truth. And if we have no basis for absolute truth, why do we trust this book over Moby Dick? It has to be absolute truth. We have to believe that it is inspired and that it's infallible. It is without error. And what we do at this church, it was confirmed in the Westminster Confession. It's important that we kind of get that into our heads. Well, why do I say this? I would say this because there's three prominent movements right now in our culture. We have Mormonism that is growing right now. It's growing at a faster rate in this country than what Christianity is growing. We have Christian scientists and we have people like Tom Cruise. Okay, he's a pretty good actor. I'm just, you know, he's obviously got some air in theology and, and going on some myth. But we have these three movements. We have Mormonism, we have Christian scientists, and then we have Jehovah's Witness, which are also growing in our country today. Why are they growing? Because Christians, because what they do is they proselytize and they convert Christians into their, into their belief system because they, mix, they have a mixture of a little bit of truth and a lot of error, but Christians aren't wise enough to be able to decipher what that truth is. Why is that, Pastor? The reason why? People don't know the Word of God. That's why. The beauty of this, Westminster Confession 110, and the reason why it's on this screen, is because it speaks into things. The Mormonism basically was created by Joseph Smith in 1830. Right? The Bible was already compiled by this point. Christian scientist and the craziness of L. Ron Hubbard started in 1954. Jehovah's Witness movement started in the 1870s. The date is not for sure. Um, was Jesus on earth at that point? No. Uh, what about the Apostle Paul? Okay, well, we're going to go with what we know to believe is the last, um, uh, the last apostle to live, John. Okay, was he alive? No, he wasn't. So what can we deduce about these things from what Second Peter and what also was confirmed in, uh, on the Westminster Confession? It says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Revelation 22, verse 18 and 19, it says, The Bible is closed. So anything that's supposed to be added to the Bible or any other faith system that is built together by any other book after the writing of Revelation 22, which was in about the year 90 is when the book was penned, if you actually near about that date. 
then what can you deduce about those other faith systems? That they're cults. That's what you can deduce from that. Next thing on the list. After God guided it, God closed it. Jesus approved it. This one is very concise. Jesus approved it. Jesus used the Hebrew Old Testament for the vast majority uh, of, of his teachings in, in his life and illustrations he would use to the scripture. Hebrews, or the, the Hebrew Old Testament is the, the same Old Testament that we ad, adhere to today. It's the same truth that we have today. And Jesus, even in his life and in his practice and his ministry, he approved it. So God guided the original writing of all the scriptures over those several centuries. God closed it. So now man can't go in with another later interpretation or prophecy and in and to an even deeper level, Jesus approved it. Jesus says, I am going to, I affirm the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew Old Testament, I affirm that by my usage of it. Him being the perfect God-man. The next point from this is the unity of the Bible shows it. The unity of the Bible. The New Testament drawing a connection to the Old Testament, has approximately 4,000 mentions of the Old Testament. The New Testament mentions the Old Testament nearly 4,000 times. That's not a coincidence. There are 300 direct quotations in the New Testament from the Old Testament. So the Bible, as a collection of the 66 books, Genesis to Revelation, is unified. It's unified. It's supposed to be viewed together. And the next one is going to take just a moment to unpack. The early church confirmed it. The early church. Now, this is like, yeah, I realize this is kind of history stuff, and, and if you don't like history, then, well, tough. But I, this, is, this is kind of a historical thing. The, the final canonization, that's the, the compiling of the Bible, and I'll tell you what that word means in just a second, because it just went over some of y'all's heads. Um, it was put together in 397 at a council. And a council in, in, in those times, as a council would come together, and they would debate such issues. They would debate such issues as um, the deity of Christ, and, and obviously what Scripture is, and okay, is the Bible closed? Is it not closed? Well, the, the Council of Carthage in 397, they got together, and they decided that the Bible confirmed through itself in Revelation 22, the Scripture that I shared just a moment ago, and several others, and saying, okay, the Bible is supposed to be closed. The whole Old Testament is closed. The whole New Testament is closed. It's all together. We don't need to wait for another revelation. We don't need to wait for anything else. Everything we need for life and practice is found in the Word of God. All we have to do is read it and apply it. Here's why that's important. The canonization, or the canon, if you will, of the Bible, canon literally means in our vernacular, standard. Okay, this, this is a common ruler, right? We're all familiar with this. How many inches are on this ruler? Twelve. Man, you guys are good. This is a yardstick. Men, you probably don't know what this is. This is a yardstick. How many inches? It's a standard. We know if we pick up a ruler in this country, it's going to have how many inches? Twelve. And the yardstick's going to have how many? Thirty-six. 
We know this. This has been established over time. As a matter of fact, this has been established for centuries. This is, this is set. This is a standard. Everything, if we go to uh, do carpenter work, we go do seamstress work, whatever that's called, and we do these kinds of things. Sorry, I'm a guy. We do these kinds of things. We can look at that and we can trust it, can't we? It is a standard. A ruler is a standard 12 inches. We look at the Bible, and the Bible is a standard of which we're supposed to live our life. From bookend to bookend, all 66 books, Genesis to Revelation, can be trusted. We, we see this, and, and it's so important that we have a better understanding of this because in the Council of Carthage, they had already established through the principles that are on the screen, I'll talk about in a moment, they had established, okay, there is the standard for our life has already been set in the Word of God, and we don't need to wait for another revelation, we don't need to wait for another prophecy, we don't need to wait for anything else, because the Bible is about Jesus, it's a matter of promise and fulfillment, creation, fall, promise, fulfillment, redemption in Jesus. And that the Word of God is the standard of which we live our life. If we don't have this as an understanding, then what we'll do is we live our life by sound bites. We'll watch our Fox News. We'll watch our CNN. We'll get hung up in blogs. We'll get hung up on things on the Internet and we'll start believing a lie. And we'll start to believe that the world is so much worse than what it actually is. When if you look at the Word of God and you think about, you know what? Jesus is still redeeming people today, even today. So there's still hope. We can't live our life off sound bites, but off the principles that are found in this precious book. Just a little tidbit before I have three things to directly apply. The canon of the Old Testament was established very early. Jesus approved of it by his usage. So at this time, they were like, well, this is set. This doesn't take a whole lot of thought. But the New Testament was a little bit more, um, it, it was a little bit more uh, of a process. And it wasn't like a one-day event. Um, it, the council got together in 397. And, and, and this is, it was not like this, okay? This wasn't like the last day that Congress is in session after they haven't done anything the whole session, right? And they come together and it's like Friday afternoon and they've already turned the AC off and it's like sweltering hot and they're sitting in a room and we're thinking, guys, we haven't done a single thing for a couple months, so what we need to do is we need to at least make something happen here to at least fool our wives into thinking we were doing something while we were here. Okay? It wasn't like that. As a matter of fact, the canonization of the Bible took a long, drawn-out process. And it all culminated at this council. And they used these three guiding principles that you see on the screen, specifically for the New Testament. The Old Testament was already established. And the New Testament, it was this, orthodox, meaning it was the rule of faith. This is, they were already living by these principles because they already believed, the early church already believed these principles. And it was like, okay, what, what does the teaching in the New Testament tell us about the rule of faith? What does this tell us about Jesus? What does this tell us about a rule of faith? And is it consistent with itself? Does, is it conflicting? Is the New Testament, the specific books as they're being compiled, or do they conflict one another? Do they conflict the Old Testament? So understanding this, this greater idea of a rule of faith. Next one is, it had to be apostolic, which means that either the writing had to be directly by an apostle or somebody who walked with an apostle. Not a Joseph Smith centuries later. 
not a L. Ron Hubbard. After he decided, you know what, I'm going to write some science fiction and I'm going to make a faith system out of it. It was already established at this point. So it had to be a rule of faith, the orthodox. It was already, it was already established that people already were living by the, by the rule of faith at this time. And then it had to be apostolic, which means that the writings themselves in the New Testament, they either had to have been somebody who walked directly with Jesus as an apostle or somebody who walked right with an apostle. And the last one, and it had to meet all of these criteria, which means a lot of other books got cast out. They may be good for history, but they were not put into the canon, the standard of the Scriptures. The last one is, it had to be universal, which means the early church. All of them, it had to have a wide acceptance. The early church had to have gone through and said, you know what? Wow, this is, this is consistent with what they're saying as they've gotten the Scriptures and I've gotten the Scriptures we already have it as a rule of faith. I received this from either the Apostle Paul, who himself had an interaction with Jesus, therefore, uh, and he was sent to be uh, sent out to be an apostle. But then also, it had to be widely accepted. It couldn't have been controversial with the early church. If it was controversial with the early church through the widely uh, the, the wide audience that received it, then they would be challenged by it. And then they would go into each specific book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and they would comb through it to say, is this the right thing? Is this actual, the inspired word of God, or is it not? But we believe that they got it right. They used the word of God, and they used the five principles. That God guided his writing, God closed the writing, Jesus accepted the writing, that the early church confirmed it and specifically the New Testament confirming it using those three principles. Three things to think about. As Christians, sometimes we get hung up and we start to get confused on what it means to actually live like a Christian. And we get hung up on the idea of, okay, um, oh, being a Christian, that means, you know, I get a star on the church attendance chart, and wow, I, I'm just kind of just gobbling in Bible studies, and wow, I'm a Christian, I'm going deep, man, I'm going deep as a Christian, and you just receive information and receive information. But here's the thing, the, and this will be on the screen, it is, how timely. Unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. What is one word to describe that? Worthless. Unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. If you have read the Word of God and maybe you've gone through and you've done some great in-depth, inductive Bible studies and you say, wow, I've spent years doing this. If you have not applied the truths that are actually found in the Word of God, you've done yourself a disservice. And I would say that you're not living your Christian life to the fullest Unapplied truth is like unapplied paint and it is absolutely worthless because it hasn't changed you. It hasn't changed you. The second one is applied truth results in a deeper faith. When you actually apply the truth and you look at it and you don't just look at the teachings of Jesus and just to, to say, wow, man, Jesus was awesome. But yet, if, it, if, if there's not some deeper meaning to you other than just awe and saying, you know what? 
Jesus was awesome when he walked on earth and, and I believe that he resurrected. That means he's alive today. That means I can trust him today. That means the same God who did the, the miracles in the, in the first century is the same God I can trust now for the miracle I need in my life. And I have to be honest with you, several of you right in here today are waiting on a miracle. When you apply truth, it results in a deeper faith. It, it deepens your walk. You apply the truth. You personalize the truth. Understanding, you know what? God created. And we should honor that. We should lift that high. In the fall of man, we should have a proper understanding of that because it taints everything else. And we have this promise and fulfillment in Jesus that he's, he has already, been, he's already fulfilled several things, but there's yet to be things that are fulfilled and we ha- that should build us to great hope. And if we apply the truth that we see in the Scripture and we read the Scripture for ourselves, we put ourselves in the narrative of the Scripture, then we deepen our walk. And the last one is, is very, very practical. The change you seek will happen with the application you make. The change you seek will happen with the application you make. We want to be changed. Anyone who hears this message, whether you're attending today or, or, or this message be heard online or on iTunes later, like you obviously want change. There's something in your life. You want a deeper connection with God. And we look into the Word of God and, we, and we, we're asking God to change us. And the change, is, the change that you seek is found in deepening your walk with Him. Well, how do you deepen your walk with Him? By applying the truth in the Word of God. Don't just gobble up Bible studies like I gobble up M&M's. You know? Just, oh man, this is so good. Woo! Just build my intellect. Build my intellect. Build my pride. This is great. Because you should be able to go into the Word of God and be challenged by it and say, man, I've messed up in that area. Because it's for training, correcting, rebuking, all of those things, right? 2 Timothy 3.16. I'm going to leave you with this. When I went to the doctor, I was given that choice. The thing that he gave me most of all was a choice. You can either trust my, my expertise. He's trained in all that stuff. I'm not. Or I could trust what I saw on the internet. But he was trained in it. I could trust his expertise. I could trust his, his diagnosis. And I could trust his treatment. It's all a matter of me trusting it, wasn't it? You know, the Bible is much like that in and of itself because if you look at the Bible, you get to find out what your problem is. Your problem is sin. That's your diagnosis. And the prognosis is eternal separation from God in the Bible. And the cure for what ails the human soul is Jesus Christ, which is the point of the Bible in the first place. But knowing all those three things, that's awesome. And you may sit here today and say, man, that makes a lot of sense. I still don't like going to the doctor, but that makes a lot of sense. But the reality is this. You're given a choice whether or not to accept it or not. Just like Christians, you're given a choice whether you're going to apply those truths from the Word of God to your life or not. If you're not walking with God this morning, that's your diagnosis. 
sin, rebellion from God. And yet, we see in, from Genesis 4 all the way to Revelation 22 is this great story of God's redemption with the nation of Israel and then with Christians today. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I have to let you know this. It can't, it, it, it can't be done um, just by saying, wow, that's really good. I'm going to come back next Sunday. It comes down to a choice, a personal choice. As a matter of fact, you could come to this church for the next 20 years, but if you don't accept Jesus Christ into your life in a personal way, it's kind of like unapplied paint for you. 